0: finishing Romans, and we're looking at Romans chapter 8, and I was thinking about, a lot of Romans 8 is about the, pro- the promise of God, the promise of Christ, um, and how it's unshakable, unbreakable, no separation, there's no condemnation, no accusation, and it got me thinking, how can a promise transcend um, your, a problem? How can a promise transcend? Uh, given from the Bible 2,000 years ago, apply to your lives today, my life today. And it got me thinking about this thing called a trust fall. You guys ever done one of these? Uh, maybe we could do one now. I'm on a platform. Maybe we wanted to try it. <laughs> my first trust fall experience, I was 19 years old. And I was at a camp. And I stood up on a perfectly good platform. And these people on the ground said, okay, you can fall now, you know. And that's a problem. That was a problem for me. Uh, But they were promising me they were going to catch me. And I remember leaning back, and you say, falling, and they say, fall on, and then they catch you. Now, if they had stepped backward and let me hit the ground like a sack of potatoes, uh, we'd have a problem, and I probably would view those people maybe differently than I did before that moment, right? Because the promise that someone gives, it's more than just the words they share, it's it's, it's reflective of who they are, right? It's not just, I said one thing and I did something. It's more about the character of the person who gave the promise. And Paul is saying in Romans 8, he's really just unpacking the security we have in Christ, the character of God behind these words. are not just mere promises, but they're rooted and established in who God is, right? And so when you read these words, maybe, you know, some scripture just preaches itself. I mean, I don't need to I'd say a whole lot on Romans 8, and you'll see what I mean. Let's read this together when he goes through these incredible phrases. What shall we say about such wonderful things as, as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God Himself has given us right standing with Himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and He is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger? or threatened with death. As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us From God's love, no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Let's go have lunch. Are we done? I don't have much else to say to that awesome stuff. No, I'm kidding. But again, you think about these, these promises that Paul is laying out here and if you're the uninitiated or the non-religious person, you could read all of that and go, okay, that sounds really nice, but how in the world do I know that promise for myself today? I've talked to people over the years who have said stuff like, I don't really, I don't really trust the Bible, I don't really trust Christianity, I don't trust the church. And I've heard that, a lot of people feel that way, but what they're really saying is, I don't trust God's character, right? Because that's kind of a smokescreen, like, I don't really believe in the Bible, I don't believe in the church or whatever. What you're really saying is, I don't know, I don't know if I can trust God, because God's behind all of it. He's the author of all of it, because so it's not just about the promise on a page, it's about the character of the person that's giving the promise, because if God's words to someone is just words, if it's just printed on a page or on a scroll, then you're maybe trusting more in yourself, if that's your attitude with reading the Bible, for example. But if you do go deeper than that and you see that you're actually trusting the very nature of who God is, you're trusting a person. Like Christianity is not built around a religious structure and budgets and, and all of that. It's about a person. It's not a what. We're talking about a whom. And it's, he's saying in Romans 8, Christ has done all of this on your behalf. And if you if you step into that mindset, everything changes with how you view all of it, all of reality, really. There were two women, two young two young women were going to a very well-to-do private school, very expensive, came from very wealthy families, and these two young women, by uh, their their uh, upwardly mobile families, expected them to get master's degrees, to do well, and to go on to very successful careers. Well as it happened with this story these two young women become Christians while they're in school. And you might be thinking, well you could do both. You can still do both. But no no, in this story they they decided they were called to become Christian missionaries. They decided they were called to full-time vocational ministry. Well their parents had a fit. They did not want that for their children. One mother called the faculty member who was the sponsor of the campus ministry, thinking this person was responsible for brainwashing my daughter. And they went to that person and in the mother's words said, you're turning them into religious fanatics. Instead of pursuing the course that we had hoped, getting a career and getting security, instead they're going to go wildly off into the blue. We wanted them to put something in the bank, to build up some sense of foundation that they can have the rest of their lives, this religious streak you have put them into them is going to ruin them. And the faculty member responded, let me remind you of something. We're on a little ball of rock called the earth that's zooming around the sun at a zillion miles an hour. And even if we don't run into some sort of celestial object, we're all going to die one day. Okay, this faculty member is preaching. Which means that every single one of us, one day, we're all going to fall off this ball of rock. And underneath it will either be the everlasting arms of God or a place of eternal condemnation and darkness. So maybe, yeah, get a master's degree. Get some temporary security. But in light of eternity, it seems somewhat inconsequential. Now there's nothing wrong with academic achievement or professional advancement. I have a master's degree, many of you do as well. But what what this parable is really saying is that don't turn good things into ultimate things. Don't trust in things that you will eventually lose. Instead of fitting God into your plan, make God your plan. Because the biggest savings account in the world cannot stop cancer. It cannot stop suffering. It cannot stop traffic accidents. It will not provide significance. It can't stop a broken heart. In fact, a savings account or a degree on a wall can't give you any of the things that only God can give you. He's the only real significance you can ever, ever have in your life. He's the only love that you can get and you can never lose. He's the only love you can get and never lose. Do not let your happiness depend on something you may lose. C.S. Lewis said, "Only upon the be- beloved whom you will never lose." Now it seems ironic to maybe to the unbeliever to hear about faith and trusting in God you can't see and hearing these promises of Romans 8 that nothing will separate us from his love. And we hear all of that But here's the irony, though, is that it's see the invisible things in life that give life the most meaning. It's the things you cannot see that provide everything that life is. Like, think about it. Love, faith, hope, joy, humor, art, sacrifice, all these things, all these good things, these unseen things, is what provides the purpose for life itself. So in this regard, everyone's living by faith. Everyone lives by faith every day. But we're just living by faith in different things. Some people are living by faith and trusting in God. Other people are living by faith and trusting in numbers on a bank account. But every day, we're trusting in faith. Not everybody really may know it. We can trust in his promise. We can trust in this promise of Romans 8. Some people have no idea, and they just trust in other stuff. But faith is many things... Faith is evidence of the unseen, like cause and effect. The fact that you have faith in God shows that God is at work in your life, that God helped you have faith. God gave you faith. It's a gift of grace to your life. Faith is also trusting in the permanence of God in an impermanent world. It is trusting God over your feelings, over your money, over the government, over other people, even trusting God more than you trust yourself that this is what could lead Paul to write stuff like this in Romans 8, to trust this promise that is way larger than any other problem you could ever face. That he's making this bold statement, and he's saying nothing will separate you from his love. Like hell, angels, demons, death, these, these eternal huge topics. He's saying nothing can, can break that away. But again, people hear all of that. And we live in an insecure age, deeply insecure age, very transient age. Everything seems upside down. Life comes and goes. And so it seems natural to take what we can get while we can get it and just run after it. You know, bird in the hand, better than two in the bush, that kind of thing. But if, but if you live by feeling alone and trying to take what's imme- the immediacy of what's in front of you and not the eternal, then yes, everything will feel very insecure. Just simply walking by feeling. Now, feelings aren't bad. Feelings are the gift of God in many ways. But we aren't called to live by feelings, though. We're called to live by faith. We're called to walk by faith. And the feelings will come, but feelings are up and down. They come and they go. God calls us to live by faith primarily and trusting again in who the character of God is. Now if you look at this passage again in Romans 8, there's three words that jumped out to me that that Paul touches on. Accusation, condemnation, and separation. And he's emphatically stating that in Christ, on your behalf, there is no accusation toward you, there is no condemnation from him to you, and there is no separation from the love of God to you. So first, accusation. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God has given us right standing with himself. You know, the original word for Satan or Shaitan, Jesus actually didn't even use that word when he refers to the devil. Jesus uses the word the accuser. That's from Jesus. That that's who Satan has always been. He's constantly accusing people of lies. He's the father of lies. He's the author of confusion. So he's constantly accusing people of things that aren't true about yourself. And we've heard these things before. We've picked up on some of this over the years. And it's interesting that every word, every what Paul is saying here, no accusation, no condemnation, no separation. This is, these are all things the enemy does the opposite of. He's always accusing. He's always condemning. And he always wants to separate he always wants to divide. He always wants to destroy and confuse and lead astray. But Paul says here, hey, if anyone, had the, if anyone could accuse us, rightfully so, it could be God. He could, he could and be perfectly just in doing so. But he doesn't. That Christ works on behalf of the cross, on our behalf. He does not accuse us. God himself has given us right standing with himself. He is the high priest and the sacrifice. Think about that one. That he is the atonement for us and he stands as our, as our um, essentially our, our high priest, the one who stands in between us and the throne of God. Because look at the next word, condemnation. Christ could condemn, but he doesn't. Instead of condemning the human race, he's sitting in the place of honor At God's right hand, pleading for us. He prays for us. He's with us, even in our brokenness and our sin. That he is our high priest in that regard. And then thirdly, separation. There's no separation from the love of God that he has for you. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us? If we have trouble or calamity, etc.? I've met people over the years who have a real fear of abandonment, and it's a legitimate fear, and it could come. I'm not a psychologist, so don't don't. I'm not going to bill you for this, but it could be rooted in how you were raised, or you know things of that nature, and and people are naturally afraid of separation because it can feel permanent. But Paul, the Scripture says here that we we will never be separated from God. His love will never leave you. you. Now, people will come and go, right? We all know this. But the promises of God, the love of God, will never leave you. You don't have to be afraid of being abandoned. And then in verse 35, it says, Paul says, does it mean he no longer loves us? I'm glad he said that because people, we've thought this way before. God, where are you? This is a really tough time I'm having. Did you abandon me? I lost my loved one, or I got fired, or I'm going through a breakup, or whatever. And you think, God, where are you? Does this mean you don't, you don't love me anymore? Does this mean you forgot about me? I, are, we somehow, are we somehow separated from us? He goes on to say, does it mean that if we have trouble or calamity, or we're persecuted, or we're hungry, or we're destitute, or threatened with death, now Paul could say that with great honesty because he knew what it meant to be all, live all those things out, but he says no. Despite all those things, we have victory through Christ, who's lov- who loved us. I've been I was thinking about these three words, about accusation condemnation, separation, about promise, God's promise over the problem, and I remember in 1984, I was forced to take swim lessons and, at the Gwinnett County pool in Lilburn, Georgia. And I went into this, I'm still convinced it's the largest pool ever built in the history of the world. And I was put into, this, into the deep end and, and I get into the water. I, I vividly remember this. I thought, I'm going to die. My parents are trying to kill me. This is the end. This is the end. And I'm holding on to the side of this pool and I'm white knuckled, and all I heard was one word, kick, kick, and they're just yelling at us to kick, and I'm kicking, and I'm kicking, and I'm going, and then they give us these things called kickboards, I don't know if they use these anymore for <laughs> swim lessons, and they push us out into the deep end, and we're holding on to dear life, just fingernails dug into these things, and we're going, and we're kicking, and we're swimming, and I'm trying to learn how to swim, and then thankfully, they took us to the shallow end, and the instructor led us into the shallow end and, and she said, okay, you need to get on your back in the water. That's a problem. I didn't want to do that. Get on your back and let your belly button step up, stick up out of the water and at the count of two, now you can feel my hands under you, but after the count of two, I'm going to drop my hands a little bit and, and you just need to float. Now at the count of two, what do you think all the children did? We begin to frantically kick and raise our knees up, and slash around, and flail around, and we dropped our butts into the arms of the instructor, because I didn't want to die that day. I had so much life ahead of me at age five. Now, people float when they assume a posture of rest, right? When you just rest. Like, unfortunately, like, you know, at the beach, they have these rip currents. You hear about this. It's horrible. It's scary stuff. And people have told me that, uh, hopefully I never have to do this, but if you get caught in one, just go limp. Let it take you, and someone can rescue you when you get further out. But if you try and fight it, you're going to drown. You know, faith is sort of about having a posture of rest. And when I read these words of Romans 8, he's saying to his audience, rest in these promises. Rest in what God has done on your behalf because many times we're like the kid in the shallow end, terrified that I'm gonna drown, that I'm gonna die, that this life of faith, you're asking me to trust that you're there? I don't know if you're there, and so what do we do? I'd rather have the underlying support of a steady job, not a bad thing, but I'd rather have the underlying support of a a backup plan, of a big number, and we kick and we flail and we create our own anxieties But what if, what if God's hands were always right there? What if he was literally always right under you? Because some of us, some of all of us, God is trying to sign us up for swim lessons. He wants us all to get in the pool. And God intends to make a swimmer out of all of us and to rely on him in what seems like a disaster, to trust the problem, trust the promise, over the problem. Now some of us were far along on these swim lessons. We've been doing it for a while. Uh, Initially when God says all right trust fall let's go off the side of the stage here and it's scary and he catches you. Well then after the years go by you're ready to do a bungee jump because he never let me fall. He was always there and it's the same with the swim. Now some people though it's natural if you're not a Christian or, or believer of any kind, it can be natural to, to have hesitancy to get to break through that barrier, that emotional intellectual barrier where you feel like you have to push through um, that hesitancy or fear. But what if man, this is sweet <laughs> i don 't know i 'm going to keep going get a little background music here fucking like my elevator so but what if God was right? What if God wasn't as far away as you think he is? What if he wasn't out on a, some distant place on a throne, but he was actually closer than close? What if he was closer than your very skin? What if he was closer than your very breath? And what if God's hands were right under you? That he won't let you sink. He won't let you fall. He won't let you fail. Because this is such great news. God doesn't accuse us. He, doesn't, he won't be separated from you. He won't condemn you. His love is for you. And not just a general sense of love, but as Paul says, a love that is specifically revealed in Christ our Lord. That not just this sort of nebulous, um, human-centered idea of love, but on the love that is revealed in who, the nature and, and character of who God is. Because as we sing our last song together, um, it's so important to be reminded that that faith is a gift of God, and that if you're struggling with faith right now, if you're struggling with trusting God, if you're struggling with really believing that His hands are right under you, then maybe you need someone to pray with you. Maybe you need someone to help you. Because we're not we're not called to be lone rangers in this life. We're called to run this race together. You can't do it alone. I mean, watching worship is great online, listening to a sermon, all that. It's it's great, it's good. But it's not church. You gotta have people. You gotta have people around you to pray for you, to help you. And sometimes we need to pray the prayer, God, give me faith. Because right now I don't have it. And you know what? God will meet you in that place. He's not Again, he's not gonna condemn you. He's not gonna accuse you. He's never been separated from you. He never went anywhere. And maybe today is the day that he's saying, hey, trust me, roll over in your back. I'm right there. I haven't gone anywhere. You don't have to be afraid. Let's pray together. And then if you do need prayer, I'll be up front if you need prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that in you, we are more than conquerors. God, that in your promises, you're faithful. And that sometimes when you call your people to trust you, it's always for our own good. That just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. And God, I pray for anyone here today or at home that is struggling with faith. They're struggling with your promise. It's never maybe been real to them. God, I pray that they would see it is real for the first time that your words are for them that you are for them you're for us you're for the world you're for all people and your arms are open you don't have a stone in your hand you're not here to condemn or accuse you're here to save and sanctify and and resurrect god your your work is amazing The way you pursue your people is amazing. Do a deep, deep work within us, God. Grow our faith in a way that we just encounter you in new and fresh ways to see that your promises are for us.